Deadline sponsors include HBO, presenting I May Destroy You, nominated for nine Emmys, including Outstanding Limited or Anthology Series, an Outstanding Lead Actress in a Limited or Anthology Series or Movie for Michaela Cole. As the number one film at the weekend box office, we are here with Free Guy director Sean Levy on today's crew call. How good does it feel to finally have opened this movie? Wow, that is a great place to start because it feels really, really good. Um, you know, every movie is made to be experienced by an audience. But Free Guy, from the very first meeting that Ryan Reynolds and I had, it was really built with one prime uh, objective, and that was audience delight. Audience delight that is, quite frankly, possibly unique to a shared collective experience in the dark. And so while we've waited for a long time um, for very obvious and understandable reasons, it feels really good that it's finally being uh, kind of brought to its raison d'etre, if you will. You know, it sounds uh, it sounds pretentious, but really we made it for an audience experience. Well, here's the thing. And tell if you could tell us more about the path, tell us about the champions for it at, at 20th Century Fox. And then here, you, you know, typically when a studio, a new, stu any studio, whether it's a, whether it's a new administration coming in at a studio or a film getting handing off to another studio, usually things get orphaned. This is yeah, not the case. It, it happens all the, the time. Disney is very pat. Got to give them credit. They put a lot of oomph into this. I, I have to tell you, without speaking out of school, um, it's always easy to talk shit about studios. You know, they're kind of faceless, you know, money organizations and they're, they make for a convenient villain so much of the time. And, and yet I have to tell you, Ryan and I, all of us who made Free Guy, we have felt that they have had our backs and not just out of a, sense of purpose or uh or or allegiance to a, a, a you know a pledge that had been given by prior owners but rather based in real passion and if you've spoken to anyone at disney you you'll know whereof i speak anthony they from early on loved this movie and then that love went to another level when they sat and i'll talk i'll back up and answer your question forgive my rambling but when no they sat in a preview when they sat in a test screening a free guy which I think I can officially say is the best of Ryan's and my careers. And we both had very successful test screenings in the past. Something you could feel it in that theater. And I'm so grateful that the Allens were there and Assad was there. And, 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 and you could really just feel that this movie becomes something bigger than the movie when it is shared by an audience. Going backwards, the champions, to your point, Mike Ireland and Emma Watts at 20th mm -hmm. Century Fox, the yeah. current regime of Paramount, interestingly, along with maybe 10 other former colleagues of mine from uh -huh. 20th Century Fox. Um, so it was Mike, uh, Mike and Emma. And from uh, uh, Ryan, I've been sent the script five years ago. And 
did not make the movie at that time because I thought, oh, well, this probably should be made by a hardcore gamer. But then three years ago, Ryan called me and we had come close to working together a number of times. And he said, I'm not interested in just a game, a gaming movie. Because I said, Ryan, you might have the wrong guy. I'm a casual gamer at best. And he's like, no, no, I want to take a video game, high concept, but I want to make a movie that's thematic and warm and humanist and not at all limited to the gamer crowd. That was the key that unlocked me for this movie. We linked arms. We literally called Emma. I've made seven or so movies with Emma. Ryan's made both Deadpools, most notably. And when I said, Emma, it's me and Ryan. She's like, let's go. It was, it That's was, great. it went, but then to your point, Anthony, Fox was bought deep in the prep of this movie and famously several movies that were greenlit and prepping at Fox were shut down. Yeah. They were, you know, to, to use your phrasing, yes. orphan. There was never a moment of that. I remember I, I was prepping in Boston. I went back to LA. I met with Assad in marketing and publicity. I met with Michelle Sewell. And then I met with the Allens and Sean Bailey. And across the board, it was support. And we made the movie. And not only did we make the movie with their support, we then, while we were making the movie, asked for and got the benefit with a few major IP cameo appearances from the uh -huh. toy chest, we got we got the mega support, and we've seen that same level of backing all the way through the marketing campaign, both in terms of the quality of the materials and bluntly the spend. They have really given this the full Disney effort, even yes. though it did begin as a Disney movie. So here's the thing, when it comes to a video game centric movie, and I'm not talking a movie based on a video game, yeah. um, but something that uh, there was, um, Il Ilya Nyshuler did um, Hardcore Henry. And he even admits he was trying to make a first person shooter. He was trying to make a movie for his video game younger self. And despite all his great efforts, he knew, he knew it wasn't going to be for a mass audience, but he wound up winning over with the fan base that he wanted to get, this, this very precise young male demo. But it brings up this notion of, oh, creating a video game movie um, and the risks of that. How did you guys overcome that? I've seen the movie. I love it. It's so much more. It's a, it's a commentary on artificial intelligence about human relationships and being close and virtual environments and all that other stuff. How did you guys go above it? Was it strictly with those, like, how did you beat this curse is what I'm trying to say. I think that people always forget a basic truth of filmmaking in our business, which is a director's job isn't just to shoot the script that's handed to them. That's, that's basic, that should be presumed. And honestly, if that's all you do, you're not that great a filmmaker. Your yeah. job as a filmmaker and as a producer, and Ryan was very much alongside me as producer on this one too, is to take that script and make it more than the words on the page. So to, to piggyback on what you said, if the example you gave was the filmmaker making a movie for his younger video game obsessed self, we made this movie for our younger back to the future obsessed selves. I wanted 
that feeling. We wanted that feeling of wish fulfillment, aspiration, a huge what if at the center, but we wanted it to be as warm as it was funny. If it was only cool, we would have failed. Hopefully it's also really cool and I'm thrilled to read so many gamers and so many people who live in that world call it the best video game movie ever made. Well, the truth is that I really hope we achieve that, but I'm, I'm equally thrilled that we also made a movie that was bigger and more broadly accessible than a video game movie. And I think it's both our personal sensibilities that, that created that opportunity, but it's also the fact that having developed Uncharted for a long time, which was a literal video game movie, um, your storytelling freedom on a video game adaptation is always within the parameters of fan and gamer expectation. We were burdened by no limits. And so we got to create Free Guy with only our own imagination as the rule of law. Did, um, was the movie, well, first of all, when it, during the pandemic, when, when it was getting delayed, what did you do? Did you start, did you step away from a final cut and say, okay, we're done, we're just gonna wait this out? Or did, it, did the film keep playing in your mind and you went back and you said, well, I need to tweak this and I need to change that and I need really to- Really good question, it. really good question. There were certain projects I've worked on, like I was in post-production on our show Shadow and Bone and I used the pandemic to re-edit a lot. But on Free Guy, we had locked the movie, we had tested the movie. We knew that the movie played really well. And yet what I did was I took a few weeks of distance and then all I did was I dug in with my VFX team and we added layers of visual humor, Easter eggs, and frankly, sheer pop of color and spectacle through layers of imagery, through graphics. And we really stood back and used the whole frame and not just, oh, this is the part of the frame with a close-up of a movie star saying words. We wanted every frame, every frame to feel dense and rich. And we did benefit from a little extra time by adding dimensions to the visual effects, but that is all that happened. And and you know, Anthony, I feel like I I, I wouldn't want to hang up with you and not flag what for me is maybe the most and probably I'm preempting a question, but this is the elephant in the room. Okay. The elephant in the room is. This is the first non-IP, non-sequel that Disney has released in literal years. And not just because of the pandemic, because of the culture of our industry, which more and more rarely bets and bets big. They'll bet small, right? Mm -hmm. But bets big on a new movie, an original yeah. movie. And that was the bet that Emma Watts placed. And that was the bet that Disney double downed on. Uh, and, and I just feel like, sure, do I hope people show up? Yes, but not just because I'd like Free Guy to do well. More critically, perhaps, I want the studios to see that when we give the culture, when we give the audience something new and original and therefore inherently unpredictable, the audience comes, the audience exists, the appetite exists. Because if we end up evolving into an industry that is nothing but sequels and known franchises, we will be the poorer for it. 
not only as an industry, but as a culture. So I just, that that's a piece that's been really close to, to our hearts on Free Guy. Did something like Baby Driver before this give you guys hope that, hey, look, original, there's there's a mass appeal for original con- kinetic, you know, high yeah. concept art. Yeah. Yes, Baby Driver certainly was a good example of that. And and maybe I have a, a particularly skewed perspective on this, but having made Night at the Museum, having made Stranger Things, I've had a career that has been largely built on taking a shot on a new story. And I've also therefore had the profound gratification of seeing that 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 big swing create a franchise. I've never been given one. I've never inherited one. I've never been assigned one. I've been lucky enough to make a few. And with Free Guy, it was another opportunity to just, okay, we're doing this without floaties in the pool. We aren't gonna have any known title or known anything that will make people sleep easier on Friday night. We're just gonna make a new story as well as we can and trust that the audience still has an appetite for that uh, because I believe that they do. And I certainly hope that they do. For your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Limited or Anthology Series and Outstanding Lead Actress in a Limited or Anthology Series or Movie for Michaela Cole, David, I'm talking about I May Destroy You. What a fantastic show. It's streaming all episodes right now on HBO Max. Now, before the pandemic, the question I was asking relentlessly filmmakers was, oh my God, is the comedy dead at the box office? And... You know, when Free Guy got greenlit, there is great hope that no, the comedy is not just, it's not dead at the box office and it's not a genre that's, you know, just went off to, went off to streaming. Can you talk more about that? Is there like, what are studios, if, if you're gonna do a comedy, does it need to be a mix? Does it, is it, yeah. does it need to be like Deadpool, a superhero movie and a comedy? Does it need to, like, does it have to be a hybrid? I don't love that. <laughs> I don't love the answer I'm about to give you, but I'm going to give you an honest answer, at least yeah. as I see it. Um, the, 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 the pure comedy, like I used to make, like Date Night, for instance. Mm-hmm. That movie almost certainly isn't getting made theatrically anymore. Yeah. The, the hybrid comedy still has a chance. And not just hybrid with, IP like Deadpool, for instance, but hybrid with something else. So at Free Guy, for instance, it is a comedy, of course, uh, proudly so, but it's also a high concept adventure movie with a lot of action and, and, and a really big serving of visual spectacle as well. So, so I do question the, the viability of the more pure comedy where it's just a few people. Say, now, I, I, I would love to be wrong right? The Judd comedies, the, that, that model of it's just people saying and going through funny things. That, that paradigm is a delight to me. But I certainly, I take a lot of meetings with every studio and the appetite is certainly not being articulated over these past several years. Now, 21 laps. What doesn't the company do? You guys are amazing. I feel like we report on you guys. You've yeah. got, you're always busy. You've always got something going on. This, you know, when I was thinking about your company, 
you know, coming to this podcast, I thought to myself the following. I wondered, are you, are you part of this whole mergers and acquisition sweep up? Is someone going to scoop you up? I ask this only because some people out there, some analysts out there have doubted the worth of Reese Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine, which went for reportedly 900 million. And there are other price tags on these other studios. They say, oh, they don't have a library. How can this be? They don't have um, any, um, they don't have a library. They don't have a catalog. From what I understand, the prices for these studios are being placed on what they can develop yeah. and their future slates. That's what I was being told. Does that make sense to you? Are you guys, do you guys have a suitor? And just tell me, you're more than just some product, some director's production company. You're, oh, you're well, in that's every- a Thank you. I've worked really, really hard to be more than some director's production company. And the whole point was to be bigger than my directing career. And back then I didn't know if anyone would ever let me make anything but family comedies. And the whole point was, no, no, my taste is more eclectic than that. So 21 laps is gonna be more eclectic than that. And it started very small, you know, interestingly, it was a small movie called Spectacular Now that started to shift perception. And then of course, it changed radically with Stranger Things, with Arrival, with Shadow and Bone, with Unsolved Mysteries. So to your question, I am not in conversations with anyone. I read that Hello Sunshine News too. And, and I know the stuff they produce and I'm sure that whoever is paying that kind of money is betting not just on what they've done but on what they think that company can do. And certainly uh, I'll just say that while I'm thankful that these numbers have never been unpacked very publicly, the, the deal that we made recently with Netflix definitely acknowledges the work that we've done and all the titles I just named, but is really betting uh, even more generously on the work we're about to do. Because when I was telling people a decade ago, no, 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 we're not just a comedy house. No, 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 we're not just like the Sean Levy deal at Fox. I got these incredible partners, these incredible colleagues and executives, now 18 of us at 21 Laps. And it's because we want to make every kind of thing. So when you ask, is there anything we don't do? Um, I'm hard pressed to name it because anywhere where there's a story or a concept or a character that excites us, we're going to try and make it happen. Can you tease for us next season of Stranger Things? And uh, tease I can do, tease I can do, maybe. <laughs> like any kind of tease, and then when we'll see it. Well, I'm not allowed to say anything more than what we announced, uh, I think, a week ago, which is it's definitely next year. It's definitely in 22. Um, we are very hard at work for it. I I'll say this just honestly it pains us how long it's been as much as it pains our viewers and fans. It sucks, we get it. And it's taking this long, not just because of COVID delays and now the kind of rigors of COVID production, right? But even before we knew there would be a pandemic, season four was built to be not just bigger than the prior three, but like exponentially more cinematic, more sprawling, Anyone who's read the internet knows we filmed in more than just one location this season. Um, so you can imagine the scope of the storytelling is 
more epic and more far reaching. And so yes, the weight sucks, but I swear to all that is holy, <laughs> it will be worth it. In the love letter that it is to the eighties, what I love about, what I constantly love about the show, the opening titles and Winona Ryder. I mean, if, if there was the a movie that- pieces, Anthony, you know, the, the earliest pieces, it's so interesting because the brothers and I came to this show from very different perspectives. For me, it's a love letter to my high school years. Yes. Duffers, it's a love letter to the decade that was in the movies that they watched on VHS in the 90s. So uh -huh. their idea of the 80s is not nostalgia. It's, it's an idealized cinematic version. For me, it's more literal memory-based nostalgia. The show, frankly, you know, fuses all of it. And Winona, I was filming with her recently in New Mexico, and we were joking about our first meeting. The brothers and I took Winona out for a cup of tea. It lasted three hours. We literally needed to explain to her what Netflix was. She did not understand what they did for a living. She didn't understand that TV shows weren't really TV shows. They were also kind of moot. It was all brand new. And now here we sit six years later and wow, Cosmo um, before season. So yes, my what a difference a few years can make. Um, and what can you tell us about the Adam Project? Oh, I, I could speak at length and really excitedly about Adam Project as has been um, you know, both reported and probably divulged on social media, Ryan and I, we, we stumbled into an absolute brotherhood on Free Guy. And we had been told by our mutual friend, Hugh Jackman, for literally a decade since Real Steel, Hugh has been saying to me, if you and Ryan meet and make one movie together, you're gonna make 10. And indeed, that's kind of what happened. Ryan and I, we just connected in a way that is both enjoyable and very possibly makes each other better. So we rolled right into another movie together. Adam Project is night and day different from Free Guy. It is still got a big kind of throwback wish fulfillment premise. The premise being, what if you could go back, Anthony, and what if you could, what if exactly. you could befriend your 12 year old self? And what if you could interact with your parents who you are the same age as now. What would that lifetime worth of empathy and perspective grant you? So it's a very emotionally resonant um, and, and, and aspirational premise, but it has kick-ass time travel, action, fight sequences, future tech, future weaponry, and all kinds of cool stuff. And you throw in Zoe Saldana, Jen Garner, Mark Ruffalo, and Catherine Keener, and you also get just a cast of my dreams once again. So very excited about it. That's gonna be on Netflix in the first half of next year. Great. And then I heard a rumor uh, that Real that real <laughs> Steel, have you heard this? Oh, I, I hear it almost every week. That's gonna be a series at Disney Plus, but they, they haven't officially announced anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now, now comes the cautious pause part of our podcast um, because I literally don't know what I'm allowed to say, but there is interest in exploring. You just that. said it. <laughs> yeah, I it There's definitely interest on the part of, uh, you know, we producers. And um, I, I will also confess that Hugh and I still talk about, well, what would a sequel look like? And uh, we would never say never to either, either series or film sequel because those characters in that world 
was so, so enjoyable to create. And I'm astounded that as we come up on 10 years later, there is no movie of the 13 movies I've made, none of them. Do, do I get more questions on than Real Steel? Chuck Vianne, the distribution head of Disney at the time, I remember him telling me, Real Steel is the real deal. That's what he said. I, I appreciate it. My only regret is that Real Steel might have been the real deal, but it was marketed as something it was not. And, and that was my first lesson. And we could do a whole podcast in this, Anthony, yeah. which is you can do everything right, man. But if your release date and your campaign is wrong, none of it will matter. It yeah. will, it, that, that ultimately you better savor process in this business because outcome is beyond your control. Yeah, I, I've often found with talking to certain directors like, oh, how did that box office performance, how did that affect you? And they're just kind of like, they kind of wave it off. As long as I'm working, as long as I'm producing the art that I want, I'm happy in this business. It's like always forward thinking, not looking back. And I think what's wonderful now, correct me if I'm wrong, is there's not that old Hollywood adage, you're as good as your last project. I think- And, and Anthony, you're as good as your opening weekend. Everything has changed. And you're talking to uh, a, a numbers addict, right? Like, because here's the thing, if you make art house fair, or you know, Oscar darlings, box office doesn't matter that much. You get your yeah. reviews, you get your festivals, it's all good. But I'm a popcorn guy. I've always been a popcorn guy. I've made 13 movies for studios. So the truth is that if you're making Cheaper by the Dozen or Night at the Museum or Date Night, like, yeah, you want a lot of people to show up. You become a little bit uh, reliant on that opening weekend number uh, because that is what gives you the privilege of making more movies. If the movies you have made, made money. Things have evolved now because the ways in which your films and your work can be experienced and ingested, they've multiplied exponentially. So I hope Free Guy has a great weekend. I hope an original studio movie can do well. I truly do. But I also know that it's not my only bite at the apple for free guy to be enjoyed by audiences. And that feels good. John, you're fantastic. Thank you, man, thank you. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.